My name is Bea Gonzalez, and I am a writer of mostly novels. And I'm Jay Rettelsberger, a singer-songwriter. We began a conversation on Twitter some time ago about Carl Jung, art, and the creative process, and we decided to share our discussion with all of you. told you uh how i ended up on twitter i don't believe you have okay so this is relevant to how we ended up connecting on twitter which is about well in 2011 i know exactly when it was because i'd gone to visit my family in seattle and um my brother-in-law had discovered twitter and he was like a little child he said you should get on this this is the new wave this is fantastic and so i thought okay whatever i'll check it out I had started my Sophia Psychos uh, project already, which is basically uh, this group that I got together to discuss Jung and, and things related to Jung. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm a huge reader. Why don't I just start taking uh, pieces of what I'm reading and do them as quotes, right? Because I, I'm not putting posting the usual quotes that everybody do have, uh, posts. In other words, I'm posting pieces of books that I, I really, honestly, most of them, most people are not going to read. But I thought, well, maybe I'll get somebody interested in reading it. So I started doing that and um, doing that pretty regularly. And I realized, my God, this is a great filing system. I spend my whole life reading. And what a great way to remember. I'll just put it up there. Then I'll download the the uh, file every once in a while. And sort of it'll be like my notes, right? Except people started following the account. And then I started feeling really responsible because people would ask, oh, what, what page is this on? Or where's this quote from? At that time, remember, it was half the characters, so I had to really edit. So I'd spend a lot of my time just editing um, very complicated uh, quotes. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Twitter eventually increased the character count, which is a great thing. Uh, but the important thing to remember is that I did have this... Uh, feeling of responsibility towards people who would ask me about books. And actually, you know, I, I remain very anonymous. It was the name of my group. I didn't say anything about myself. Um, in the meantime, in that same period, I had previously published my second novel and had gotten into a very strange uh, frame of mind where I really only wanted to read these, these books on young and related subjects. And I was really turned off of writing, although I was writing weirdly, but it's just nothing connected and it, it wasn't really working. So I was just deep into this world. And uh, sometime last October, I started getting, feeling this incredible need to write again, write this particular novel. And it wouldn't leave me alone. And I hated the idea of it because it just wasn't the type of writing I usually do. And it was making me really uncomfortable, but it wouldn't leave me alone. And one day we'll talk about just how the creative process works for each of us. But in my case, it really, it would be walking down the street and a scene would come to mind. And I knew who the characters were. It was just a strange feeling. And I, I was absolutely not going to write it. But then what happened is in mid-January, I had this wonderful group I have, my Sophia group. I was telling them about it on Zoom. And I said, oh, this is the general idea. And they all were extremely encouraging this. And I have to write this. So I thought, okay, I'm just going to go and I'm going to write it. So that very moment, I got off Zoom and I wrote the first thousand words and I sent it to them. And I said, this is what it looks like and full encouragement. So I thought, okay, I've got to do it. I've got to stop. Uh, because what had happened in the last 10 years is I had brought together two parts of myself that I think were very divided. And so it was really super important, I realized, to write this. So I also realized, and I've never done this before, that I had to write it really quickly. Because if I didn't write it really quickly, I would lose my nerve. 
And so I didn't want any interruptions because I thought this is a thing that, that would throw me right off. And I told everybody, I'm basically not going to talk to you for the next month. Uh, my family was, was uh, informed that I would be in this state. And so I was all ready to go. And then the first day, I'm uh, ready to start. And uh, one thing about having a Twitter account is that, yes, yeah, some people ask you for help, but there's always the kind of people that come in, I won't say trolling, but they're looking for a fight. <laughs> you know them, right? They're on there and they're, they'll, they'll, they'll do, ask a leading question or they'll, you know, try to start an argument over something Joseph Campbell or Carl Jung said, which is absurd because I'm not Joseph Campbell and I'm not uh, Jung and I don't care. I mean, I'm just providing these quotes Go read the books. That's what right. we do. But they'll come on. And I, I'd like to say it's all men, but that would be a lie. It's, it's mixed. It depends on the day. I'd say I'd say there's a 70, 30 percent split. But it can be a, <laughs> enough. I mean, I'm not going to lay this on that because that would be a lie. It's basically, I think, cantankerous people or people, I think, who are doing searches for a specific name and then they find the quote and then they come on. Okay, so. I posted my quotes that day. I thought, okay, I can't abandon this, even though I really don't have the time. And boom, I get a response to one of the quotes I put, which is David Tacey, I remember it was. And that was you. And I'd never seen you on the on my account before because they're the usual suspects that come on and they comment. And I, I kind of know who they are, even though, again, I was totally anonymous. I no longer am. But at that point, I was not totally anonymous, but I wasn't really being forthcoming about who I was. And you come on and you made a comment. And I, my initial reaction was like, oh, my God. I didn't even <laughs> read the comment. I was just ticked off at you. I thought, what, you know, how, it's almost like, how dare you show up on the day? Like, as if you knew, right? Um, on the day that I need to start um, this novel that is in my head and that has to come out really quickly. And, uh, but, but I thought, okay, I sort of sighed. And I want a better look at what this guy has to say. And, and I figured you were going to say something that was aggressive. I don't know why I got the feeling it would be, I read it and actually you made a very pertinent comment about the quote that I had placed. And then it was even worse. I got I got even angry at you because then I thought, oh, no, I've got to find the response in David Tacey's book and I don't have time, but I really should do this. And I was conflicted <laughs> like nothing else, but I thought, okay. As it turns out, though, early on when I was doing this, I had to do this manually, but now there's this fantastic app called Readwise that will cough up it extracts everything I've read from my ebooks and whatever I've underlined and notes I've taken and basically coughs up a quote. And I mean, I just want you to remember there's over 40,000 quotes I have in that database at this moment. And yet <laughs> I have it set up. So it comes up on my browser. Every time I have a new tab, the next quote that comes up on my, on my browser basically relates exactly to the question you just asked. So I thought, okay, this is pretty good. I can answer this really quickly. I can just screenshot this, get it out of the way. I'm out of here. But that, has, uh, that was actually my memory of my first interaction with you, which is complete and utter irritation. <laughs> but that's how <laughs> I get my book done, which I eventually did, but it was really interesting. So do you remember why you followed the account? I mean, obviously you're interested in Young, or you wouldn't. Yeah, I, I saw um, your quotes being posted by someone or retweeted by someone that I was following. And uh, I remember feeling irked at times because um, I, I would see, okay, I didn't quite like the way things were being interpreted at times from some of your quotes by others. Oh, by others. Thank God. Yes. I don't... <laughs> I 
just to make life clear. You yeah, wonder, not, okay. not by you, by others. Right. And so, <clears throat> you know, that, that led me to um, engage a bit in, in challenge some of the interpretations that I was seeing from other people. Right. right. Not you. Um, uh, so th that's, that's what I remember that I ended up following you for that reason. Cause I kind of felt like, okay, I'm going to do a little gatekeeping here. <laughs> well, you did very good. You did very well because eventually what would happen is that people would, uh, put a, I would quote, somebody would respond and you'd go in there and nicely correct. And you were never aggressive, which I really appreciated. And I especially appreciated it because you were doing it during this insane time of my life when I literally was not sleeping because I had to get this book written. So there was somebody there who had my back who I didn't know, but I thought this is great. Somebody's actually correcting. I don't have to go in there. I don't have to um, do anything. And that, so it was without you knowing it, it was actually quite helpful what you were doing. And I, well, I realized you also were very good at taking something that was complicated and just distilling it in such a way that made it very intelligible. Well, it, it's something that I was enjoying actually, um, because these were conversations that I didn't really have an opportunity uh, really to have uh, through those those comments on on the tweets. You know, um, there's I, I do like teaching in a way, but uh, I don't get an opportunity to teach much about this stuff. So I really felt that this gave me an opportunity to to do that in some ways. And I don't mean I'm like this expert. I didn't, I don't mean it like that, but I mean, I do have, you know, some insight into some things and um, I wanted to make use of that. Well, you certainly did. Um, right. So when you were jumping on, and I think obviously you can tell your background is in yoga at some point you've studied it. So let's, let's start off with that question, right? Uh, one of the things I guess I'm asked from time to time is, well, why even listen to Carl Jung? I mean, either, what does he have of, that is of value to anybody? He embraces mystery. What does that mean, mystery? Well, mystery, the unknown, the unconscious. Um, he values the unconscious. Um, so what's the unconscious? Not not to be really pedantic here, but just if you're thinking about what people are going to ask, right? So what is the the unconscious is everything at the for example, if I look at myself, the unconscious is everything that I am currently not thinking, feeling, um, aware of. Everything that is not in my stream of thought right now. Right. Um. So that could be emotions, feelings, um, memories, uh, certain experiences, um, everything that I am not aware of at this moment. It's as simple as that. Right. So, so, so what? So why should anybody care of the things we're not aware of? Because it's the things that we aren't aware of that tend to shape our lives that tend to, that's the things about ourselves um, that in many ways direct our lives. And so if there are things going on within me that I am unaware of, it would be important for me to 
engage with that, um, have some sort of uh, connection with that so that, um, so I'm not acting out these forces within me in ways that can do the world damage. So give me an example, concrete example. How does this look? So the way I've seen it is eruptions in people. Okay. So I've seen it at, um, well, I've seen it in myself. Let's be honest. Like, why am I saying people, right? Just out of the blue, I will overreact to something. And suddenly I lose my control center, right? The idea that, uh, that somehow there is something in control of me as opposed to me being in control of it. And I think where the eruptions really um, are dicey are not only that you embarrass yourself sometimes, frankly, but that you could actually really hurt somebody, right? Um, because it's you go completely unconscious, you, you just blah, right out. It has done much damage to relationships, for example. It's often at the heart of what causes problems in relationships. So then being in contact with the unconscious uh, will do what in that context? And that's specific uh, example, what will having an ongoing dialogue with the unconscious solve? Well, it, it's a type of reflection. So what's beneath that eruption is something going on in the unconscious. And so if you're aware of what is beneath that eruption, then it's not going to be directed outwardly in the same way that can typically cause problems in relationships or, or, you know, just with everyday people. Um, So you're, you're with that awareness. um, That's a huge part that reflection and that awareness is a huge part of um, uh, I guess, keeping an even keel um, of uh, finding the center Right. Okay. So, so let's say I'm person A and I'm thinking, all right, I am exploding in ways that I can't manage and this is hurting people. So where do you start? What do you do? Well, I definitely, I definitely can identify with the uh, eruption thing. You know, and, and this is going to sound, I, I think for everyone it's going to be different, of course, but um, I think sometimes where I, I was initiated into looking into this was kind of the way that I felt after the eruption. Right. So there is an awareness first that, okay, what just happened there? What am I doing? That was irrational. That 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 didn't make sense. My reaction was disproportionate. And so sitting with the outcome of that right. <clears throat> it led me to dig a little deeper, I guess. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> but how do you dig? I guess how how do you dig? It's one thing to I'm I'm well, same. sitting, sitting with sitting for one with the discomfort, being with the discomfort, um, the thing that's really, really beneath it all, or at least 
I won't say the thing that's really beneath it all, but something that gives you a feeling that gives you an inkling of what's what's really beneath it all. Um, seeing that I am a, basically that, I guess in a way is feeling that I'm in a way punching my own face. Right. C- coming to coming to the realization that my way of acting out is actually I'm I'm actually doing harm to myself so not only am I maybe harming someone else in front of me but in doing that I'm also harming myself right um but that you know that's that's an introspective process are you asking what what you do then is Carl Jung anyway. I mean, uh, it's probably a good idea. A lot of people who listen to this will know who Jung is, but there might be some people who have not heard him. So just as by basic biographical story, 1875, born then, dies in 1961, and um, is really one of the founders of web psychology, right? Uh, People say he was a student of Freud. He wasn't. He had developed a lot of his theories before he even uh, meets up with Freud, but Definitely Freud had a very big influence on, on uh, Jung, but so did Nietzsche and so did Goethe and so did many people. Uh, and then a highly controversial figure because unlike Freud, he is he is he ventured into areas that are more problematic, shall we say. He was known as a mystic, and that makes everybody's back of the head uh, bristle because that means he wasn't quote unquote rational, or uh, although he did call himself an empiricist. What else would you say about Jung? That uh, oh, I mean, uh, then he spoke about alchemy, which of course is even weirder. But what what else do you do you think um, is worth saying about uh, Jung? Well, of course, it, you didn't say it, but I think it's understood. He's a psychoanalyst. Oh, of course, yeah. Um, uh, big on dreams, mm-hmm. big on the unconscious, big on the notion of um, the self, the whole personality. Uh, in the ego's relationship with the self. Right. Um, and uh, he he dipped, like you were saying, he dipped his toes in, in area. Well, he more than he 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 um, he really dove in. I think he was dipping his toes in the beginning of the career in some certain areas that uh, were risky for an academic. Right. But depending on who you talk to, you'll get different kind of answers on who, who Jung was, so, so who Jung was, because, you know, I, I studied him in parts of him in a contemporary philosophy of religion class. Right. <clears throat> um, so in so, some people see him as a philosopher as well. Well, he definitely is. I, I would say he's a philosopher. It's interesting. One of the things that I've noted by being on so many social media platforms and following Jungians, whatever that means, is there is many, there are as many versions of Jung as there are versions of Jungians. And one of the things that uh, amuses me is how everybody seems to think they have their version of Jung, and that is the definitive version. And in fact, you will get what I call the Jungian purists, who actually declare that every other Jungian is uh, 
handling or misinterpreting what Jung had to say, which is insane. Because again, is that what I was doing on your tweets? <laughs> no, no, no. You were actually not only were you doing a really good job because you weren't a you weren't declaring yourself to be the head head Jungian, you know. And I've studied it, and I've done forty PhDs, and you weren't playing that game. But you were taking uh, maybe you know Jung isn't easy in many of his ideas, and you were distilling it, that thought, and you weren't venturing out into 40 different directions, and then declaring yourself the only person worthy of understanding that. Okay. See, that that's where I get a little bit nervous, yeah. because Jung, if in my reading of Jung, contradicted himself a lot. A lot of his ideas are very clear, but there are areas he changed his mind, because when you have 22 volumes of collected works, then there's going to be areas from the beginning to the end where he matured, and things changed, and Anyway, I, I object to the idea that somebody has a, a the, the definitive version of Young. If that's the case, then that's it just doesn't sit well with me. So no, you were not doing that at all. But but I think again, both of you, the real reason you and I, I think, connected is we're looking at it from the creative aspect, right? Because we're both fundamentally creatives as the first definition. So um to me, I'm not an academic. I'm not interested. I considered becoming a Jungian analyst. Uh, wasn't interested. I do run a group that discusses these subjects and have, has been mm -hmm. discussing this, these subjects for years. But I wasn't interested in that route. And I think there are plenty of people you can listen to out there who are the experts. And I say, go for it. My interest is more uh, dialogue about how he's impacted my life. Not him, but the whole, because now there's an entire um, universe around Jung, right? So Marie-Louise von Franz is one of his students and Marion Woodman, who is a later student. You know, there's a lot of people that have come in there and then people who, who based their work, like Joseph Campbell, even though he didn't really, I think, <laughs> admit that or he didn't get there until later. Uh, so it's not just Jung. It's the idea, okay, and I, and I love what Sonu Shamdasani says. He's the editor of the Red Book. When he said, you know, what is the fun? I always repeat this, and I bore people with the same quote, but I love it, which is to value your inner life. And while you and I can discuss dreams, and my group does this, and I love hearing dreams, there are a lot of people out there who think dreams are just silly, and they're compensations for silly things that are going on in your life. And and I, I for me, what got me into Jung we're 10 years of the same dream. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I have now found that in people in my group. And uh, I will tell you, this is how I found Jung. For 10 years, well, maybe not 10 years, but maybe eight years, I had basically the same dream and I couldn't figure it out. And it had to do with relationships. And the dream was always the same. I was going into my grandmother's house in Spain and the house was in, in, in a horrible state of disarray. Uh, in real life, it had been a grand house and it, one of those houses that had slowly you know, collapsed on itself and, you know, it started looking more like a ghost house. In my dream, though, whatever man I happened to be attracted to at that given time, I would be taken of through this house, a tour of this house by this particular guy, right? And he would show me how he'd renovated the house. And that was so, it's like, great, the house is renovated. I love it because it was a grand house and here it is. And, but there'd be always one room that remained unrenovated. And not only did it remain unrenovated, but it was frightening. And It, it was what? What was it? It was frightening. You'd walk into that room and something just was very frightening. So I thought, well, okay. So my literalist mind, and this is kind of interesting to me because I was studying, you know, I was doing my master's even when this was going in London and on poetry and, and the romantic period. And I don't know why I didn't make the connection that maybe a literalist interpretation of this wasn't the way to go. But 
I was interpreting it literally. So the way my mind would connect these things is, well, clearly this is not the person for me because my dream is warning me very literally that the room that is not renovated, there's some danger in it, right? So this kept going. <clears throat> and then what happened was uh, uh, at some point you realize, you know, something just isn't really working very well in this area of my life. And so I synchronistically picked up a book by Liz Green, who is a Jungian analyst called Relating. And I thought, well, I better learn about what's going on here because this is such an insane, insane uh, situation. And of course, she explained what seems so, so obvious to me right now, which is everything in the dream is you, right? Uh, from the person that is there, which is just your mask inside, to the, to the house, to the house is in fact a great symbol of the self. And we know, do, 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 I'm sure you know this by doing so much dream work that, of course, you have to, you, the person has to connect it to whatever is in their lives. And so I started doing some very intensive inner work. And that's that's the Sonisham Dasani thing that Jung said, value your inner life. And I had been directed outwardly to this point, and it wasn't working. <laughs> it wasn't working at all. And uh, and so, and of course, it also uh, coincided with me wanting very much to leave the academic pursuits and, and begin my life as a writer. So these things came together. And um, then I, I also started med meditating. So the two things actually happened at the same time. And curiously, I'm telling you this story, and I'm just remembering right now that the thing you commented on, that first tweet, was the notion of spiritual bypassing, right? The John Wellwood came up with. And mm -hmm. you rightly said there is a danger to people doing spiritual work. And I saw it when I was doing um, intense med meditation and mindfulness practices that many people hide within these worlds to not be able to feel in their bodies and process stuff that is really hard. And I understand why, but if not done, I think the, the best way is to look at the world from more than one direction. And one of it would be body work. And then there were, and I was doing all three of them at this point, body work and then dream analysis. And, and maybe if you can have access to Jungian analysis, that's great. And then thirdly, I think meditation and mindfulness for me was really, really helpful because my mind was way too active. It always has been, and it was a way to just calm myself down. But what was interesting about it is about two years into this intensive period of that, the dream started changing. And the dream that I had before suddenly started having a couple in my dream. So it would be a couple that would come into my into my um, house and they were usually married or together. And then, you know, the, the, the room was still, there was still a problem with the room. But the fact was that it was now changing in that direction. That hadn't happened for eight years. And then after about two years into this, where I really think things really shifted mentally, I started having, a, I went from what one of the problems that women I think have, or I've seen it, and I certainly had it in myself, so I'll speak for myself, is the idealization of relationships to a degree that, you know, you think that uh, solutions are going to be found there, which are not going to, solutions are only found within. And, uh, you, you know, so it was a bit of a growing up a period. But the, the interesting part about this is at some point I had the dream, I call it the dream, that ended all the dream, the series of dreams. And in that dream, I walked into the house and I ordered somebody to renovate the room and it got renovated. And that was the last one. i
there is there are a series of dreams that have happened to some of the people in my group that are publishable. They are so amazing. And they took exactly this same kind of development. You start with something that frightens you, you take ownership, you try to dialogue with it. And then at some point, the dream changes. Not only does it change, but it seems to actually, in some cases, um, it actually uh, it actually ends with even getting advice from the very thing you feared. There's one one dream series that I'm thinking. So I could have ignored that and said, okay, well, that was just coincidence. But it seemed, I, oh, by the way, that was years ago. I have not had that dream again mm-hmm. in any very in any form, right? So. Uh, it may be I have other dreams, not not anything that was as intense. Like there was seemed to be something in my psyche that said, you need to address this. There is something very wrong with with what you're doing. And so that got me interested. Then I thought, wow, what what's really in your it just became so fascinating. I think, in fact, there is one thing that is dangerous in in this whole thing is that you start becoming much more interested in the inner world than you do in the outer world. I have to say that when we have our meetings, my favorite part is when people relate their dreams. It's just like, wow, here we are. This is this is so interesting. So that's what got me into it. And when I think of people dismissing dreams or saying, oh, that's just indigestion or Oh, that's just silly. I think of one thing Bon France or Jung or both of them said, which is you're exposed to thousands of images in a given day. Why is something being chosen, right? And my passion is teaching to, to people to, to, to look at the world metaphorically, not only their dreams, but actually practically everything. Because if you think of what goes on, a lot of what happens, whether it's religious beliefs or political beliefs, is a literalist understanding of something that is much richer, much much more complex. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's what we, you as a songwriter, or me as a writer, use to, to be able to write our stories or write our songs. Um, and it seems like an impoverishment not to, not to look at the world that way. So that was my take on dreams. It was an experiential thing that led me then to the theory. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I think it was the theory that led me to the experience. <laughs> okay. Well, I won't, maybe that's too simplistic. The theory resonated with certain experiences, I guess I would say, that I had no other way of uh, describing, I guess. Um, But uh, that's very interesting. I, I can't say that I've had really a reoccurring dream like that. Um, so, so that, that is very interesting. I've had series of dreams that were ultimately communicating something and, and, and an evolution happened within that series of dreams, um, which is very interesting. Um, similar thing, uh, you know, with, with some, um, so when I was in grad school, I studied depth psychology in California, and uh, I was starting to find my way uh, creatively, but I wasn't completely committed to it. And I, I wanted to be like this this philosopher guy, and I, uh, I wanted to be really heady, and I wanted to write all these philosophical things. And so, but I thought there was this other part of me that was... Um, that was trying to be a songwriter. And so I would have a dream with this uh, female figure that uh, I was attracted to. 
Uh, and in the first dream, it was this weird thing where she would try to reach out to me and I was re repelled. Then I would try to reach out to her. She was repelled. And then the next one is like um, us in a, I, I believe it was like a, a horse in a carriage riding side by side and we're like holding hands or whatever but there's still a little um a, a little apprehension and then the next dream is a completely different female figure and um uh it's like our wedding night and that coincided with me committing uh to music and committing committing to that process right. um so you know you say that uh I, I do hear when people talk about dreams it's like this discarded thing it's like you know the trash of the day uh if that's i, I guess the way i see this is if you choose to look at it that way that's what it will be yeah, true <laughs> if yeah. you want to find uh a depth in them then you will find the depth in them yeah that, that's so true i mean that's for everything in life but if you choose to look at things from one level that's all you'll see but once you get to a higher like that higher implies you know value judgment but to another level shall we say then it just in my view it enriches that same experience that same concept that same anything and then you can keep going right and there's so many different ways and I haven't really found one of the things that's interesting to me is just how when people are guided, uh, I did some studying with a guy, Jeremy Taylor, who would have do it in groups, because I know that Jung wasn't uh, particularly keen on that. But I find in groups that actually works very well, because somebody we're all relating things. And we all say that we're my dream. We don't say this is what you mean. And the person always gets a first stab about it. And, I, and the other thing I would tell people is if they're looking at dreams, the feeling associated with the uh when you wake up is is really really important it's a little bit like Jung said that you can't you asynchronicity cannot happen without emotion the feeling that you have is absolutely what you want to stay with and actually that's what sometimes happens that you have a dream that's really intense and um you wander around that feeling and when you just told a story uh of your dreams and that is a dream sequence now the final dream did it have a person that was in your real life or was that an yes both life? of them were people in my real life okay so that's interesting so the mistake i think people make all the time is they take that dream figure to be the real person and then they make all sorts of crazy assumptions and then a yes. whole bunch of things happen that are just nuts right Oh, so this means I'm supposed to marry that person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm go find them, yeah. And it's very confusing because sometimes that person is someone you actually really dislike. Right. Um, and so it feels really weird. But really, it's the idea of, of understanding that that person has. So one of the things, anybody, when they come into my dream, they're always the dream. If you're in my dream, you're dream Jay. You're not Jay because you're not Jay, right, in my dream. And so the way that we would do it and the way that I've learned to do it through doing quite a few years of analysis was to associate you with a quality, whatever the qualities are that I associate you with, right? And, um, you know, you're part of me in that in that scenario. So I don't mistake the person for my inner um, myth. Because I think when that happens, now, Jung did say there was an objective way to look at it and a subjective. So you could say that if I dream of my husband, well, that is my objective husband, but it's also my masculine self. And so you have to distinguish what, what's going on. Honestly, I don't know about you, but I tend to approach it all as me, as yes. this is part of my psyche speaking mm -hmm. to me. 
And, and I take it really seriously uh, because they are, clearly there's something that's showing up and I'm remembering. Then clearly there's something that um, I need to I need to know, right? Uh, so so when people say this about, well, it's just the, the discard, I just think, wow, you just, you're really missing out on being able to learn about yourself. But here's the thing, and I think this is a difficult thing. It can be really humbling because what you're learning is often compensation, right? The type of dream where you're lofty and, and wandering around, and then the dream brings you right back to life very quickly. Uh, you know, I, I, in my latest novel, I, I have a, a dream that the dream that I most like I've ever heard. And I never met this person. And it came through Tanya, who's a member of my group. And it involved her stepfather. And he's an engineer, I believe. And he worked with a bunch of engineers. So we all think are generally are more kind of thinker types. And um, he would spend his day being an engineer. And at night, he would have the same dream for years, the same exact dream. And I just love this dream because the dream was he was a cobbler. And he made shoes at night. So during the day, he was an engineer. At night, he was a cobbler. And one day, he came in looking rather shaken. And he said to Tanya's uh, stepdad, um, I guess he asked, what's wrong? You don't look too good. And he said, well, something really weird happened yesterday. And what had happened in his dream is that um, somebody showed up for the first time into his little cobbling, whatever, his little hat he was making his shoes and fired him. And after that, he never got the dream again. <laughs> to me, this just, it's just, it's fabulous in so many different levels. I can see the sensation function, the idea of I'm making something, maybe during the day I'm dreaming about things. And then so it, uh, they were very intellectual and very ideal, yes. conceptual. And sure. then I get to do the balancing act. But you know what, what bothered him, which makes me laugh, is who was, who, who, I didn't know I had a boss, he said, I, who fired me? <laughs> and I just thought, but what would be interesting, had he been in my group, is we would ask, well, what is going on in your life at that time, right? Maybe he was fired because he had integrated that part of himself in some way. I don't know. Any, there could be so many ways you could look at that. But uh, but I, I don't want to say I feel bad when people say they don't remember their dreams because I find them so fascinating. Uh, and I love listening to other people's dreams. I know some people don't don't like it, but I actually love it because to me, the inner world speaks a lot louder and it's a richer world than the outer world in a way. The outer world is what you present to me because you want to look in a certain way. The inner world is a little bit more raw. It really tells you what's going on. Well, there's no control in the inner world. Well, because masculine, it's the or the inner world is the it really the feminine, right? Talking to us, and right. there is no control in that world. If you try to control it, you're it's a losing game. Right. So what we what we present to the world is something uh, that we have control of. Uh, right. So so things like dreams um dreams like the creative process uh, require us to give up control right right Uh, not everybody is really looking to do that. Although there, is, I, I would say that there are many cases where maybe they would benefit uh, tremendously. In fact, I think what drives people often into analysis is the uh, <clears throat> nightmares, right? That's a very common thing, often tied to early trauma or something that keeps resurfacing. 
and you, you end up being driven to the point where somebody has to help you or you have to figure it out. Um, and, you know, that's a great way to start unpacking what might be lodged there. And, and what's really, really interesting about it is it can also help you move beyond. And, and this is my own experience in that dream sequence I had is it can mature you. It can make you adopt a new attitude. And so actually, once you adopt a new mental attitude, actually the outside world changes pretty quickly because you're not caught in that trap. You're able to move away from that limiting thought that was playing in the background all the time. And you can, you can make different decisions. And that's why I think it's extremely powerful done, you know, regularly. And, and, you know, and there are times when you're not going to get the dreams and that annoys me, but that's probably because there's nothing that really is stirring in the psyche at that moment. I'm probably in a more calm phase and I, maybe that's, there's no need for it at that time. Have you found that or do you dream pretty regularly without? Uh... I dream. I mean, I have actually, I've gone a few years without remembering dreams before. Wow. Um, and, and uh, I missed it. Yeah. Um. It tends to, uh, I, right now I'd say I'm dreaming fairly regularly. Right. <clears throat> um, but, and then there are times where I'm dreaming even more regularly than I am now. So I'm probably, you know, I probably can recall two to three dreams a week right now. No, that's excellent. I'm jealous. Um, but, uh, you know, other times the dreams are there, but it's like, they're so, it's like, you only have an intuitive sense of them. Mm-hmm. You're barely even, I mean, you feel it, but you can't describe it at all, yeah. but you even see images, but they're even blurry. It, yeah. It, yeah. Yeah. I've had that. Yeah. It's, it's funny though. I did a weekend years ago with a group, like years and years ago, and we just decided to do dreams. And I remember this woman joining us who'd been part of another program that I was part of. And she said, well, I, I can't choose a shoes. I think a chemist. She had a PhD in chemistry. She goes, well, you know, I, I only dreamt of one image and it, and it makes no sense. And the image was of a stone. So you can imagine how long we took to unpack that one, right? <laughs> <laughs> a long time. She was yes. shocked. She said, oh my God, I can't believe this much. And I said, listen, and what I find, which is fascinating, is you let people talk and you say, well, why a stone? And then they go, well, I don't know. And then they start talking. And very, well, not so soon. In this case, we had a weekend of this, so it took a while. But um, but very soon it became clear why that had shown up in her in her dream. And what's really neat about it is um, my own analyst, Sylvia Sinensky, was wonderful, said to me, um, you'll know when the dream interpretation clicks. You'll just know. It's just a feeling. And sometimes the dream will continue to um, sort of be in the back of your mind. And then eventually, maybe, you know, I don't know, uh, weeks later or even a month later, it hits you. Um, there was a very, very good se- dream sequence that happened with one of the members of my group where a word became the key to unlock it. And she'd mm-hmm. had the dream for a year. And then somebody said the word and it changed everything. And it was like a wake up, you know, I couldn't believe it. So it is such an interesting thing. And I'm wondering, is it perhaps because we are dealing with imagination all the time? Like to me, the, 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 the richest part of my life beyond my family, obviously is just working with things in the imagination, just being able to create stories. Like right now I have a new novel percolating and, you know, uh, I'm trying not to let it get in there because I have other things to do, but you know, the novel doesn't care that I have other things to do. So it's coming at a weird times. If I listen to certain music or I'm walking, the dog and I seem to have, moments walking down the street where things just come to into my head fully formed and I wouldn't give up that process for anything and it's not because I'm special I think everybody 
does this. They're just not aware that this is happening. Does that how so- is that how songs happen to you? That they just sort yes. of hear? That's so cool. Yeah. yeah. I and it is like you know, dreams in the way, in, in that we don't it's not something we have complete control of. Right. Um so yeah, it, they come in in various ways, but there's something really beyond my control. Sometimes I might have a uh, a feeling of some kind. I, I don't I don't even know how to describe it, but a feeling of some kind that'll lead me to my guitar. I'll sit down. I'll just start messing around with chords, and next thing you know, something hits, and mm-hmm. uh, and then it goes from there. There are other times where it happens pretty much just completely spontaneously um completely right then and there and i i just you know lay it out all in one sitting and then there's other you know so so you have that aspect and then you have the other aspect where it's like you're whittling a piece of wood and you know you're you're taking your time with it it's a slower process the dialogues coming yeah. a little bit more slowly but yeah, uh, there's something that's very alive in that. That's very much like what you're getting uh, from a dream. But it's our conscious mind in ways that plays a part in shaping it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, otherwise, it's just yeah, it would be just a messy bunch of different things. What's interesting to me, and I've never been able to figure this out, with each of my novels. It's like the characters are sorting out in in the back of my mind, their characters sorting out what they want to do. That's the only way to put it. And then when I sit to write, they just go ahead without me. And they just start having conversations I never imagined. Mm -hmm. And sometimes a new character will show up that I have no idea why why he's shown up or why she has shown up, but then seem very integral to the whole thing. And one thing about all my books is um, I sometimes rewrite entire sections. I'll throw out something and... But once it's down, it's pretty, that's the way it is. I don't go back a lot and, and rework it. And um, I'm just, and part, part of it is that I, I, because I just trust my my own inner world enough to know that's where it's supposed to go. But I'm, I'm, I'm just amazed sometimes that, that it's doing that. It's always really exciting because I, the part of me knows where I'm heading, but then sometimes I don't head in that direction at all. And that's what makes writing and the whole creative process so amazing to me. Um, I wouldn't give up that for anything. The idea that, and, and I, one of the things I, I try to do in my group, and we have a lot, I have a lot of creatives in my group. Now you're part of my group, so immense amount of talent in all of the people is just try to say that whether you're a photographer or a musician or a writer, or whatever you are, everybody does have a pretty good ability to do this. It's just a matter. And this is, I think, what um, types very well to active imagination. The idea that you just let the inner world produce the images and engage with them. I think that's um, really not communicated in the process that we're both describing isn't a process that's really communicated in, in the arts um, in a lot of ways. Um, Because I think when a lot of people think of creativity, they think of will that, that we will ourselves there. And that's actually the antithesis of it. It yeah. it wills us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, totally. and so I I think 
you know, in, in the arts, that, that that is a piece of myth. No, I'm not. I'm sure there are teachers out there that do do a good job sure. of of that in in some aspects. But as a whole, I feel like our culture um, sees it more as um, it's not spontaneity isn't always integrated. It's more about um, being good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's because <clears throat> there are two parts of creativity. There are the, there's the spontaneity, the spontaneity part and the unconscious part and going fishing in there. But there's also the, uh, the part that is the technician, right? The so craft. you become, a, yeah, the craft, right? So you become a better writer. Let's face it, the more you practice it. That's why we say to people, if you want to yes. be a writer, be prepared to throw out a lot of books, which I have. Um, and the more you read, you're also going to get a better grasp of how things work. But then at the end of the day, uh, when it comes, at least with writing, whether it's style or whether it's, it, there is something that, that that's very intuitive to me. I just, I go with whatever my intuition takes me to. And again, I don't, I, I don't buy the, the, the story that so many certain people are creative. I think that's a diminishment of the whole human story. Certainly. I mean, you know, but I think we've lost what you said is trade. You, you have to play. You have to know how to play. And that's certainly not encouraging adults. <laughs> so they're not no. going to get that. Yeah. So uh, you'd have to have a totally different approach to the, to the whole, to the whole thing. And we'll, we'll round the circle by saying that the reason I started talking to you um, beyond Twitter was still involved with the was involved with another tweet that I put out one day in an act of desperation <laughs> or a call. So again, I, I had not basically said a lot about my life. I just have a link to my website if people are interested. But when I was writing this novel, I really wasn't getting any sleep. I, it, it took 23 days, 70,000 words, very quick. But I, I was in a state of, as my kids said, I was like, who is this person? Um, but I was walking around in, in euphoric, by the way. I did like, it was really like I was in, in an euphoric state, but I was exhausted because I couldn't stop. And I remember one day, it was late, I tweeted out, okay, I just wish it's great when you're feeling this incredible creative um, uh, wave, but I just wish it would come in a much more measured way because I'm really, I was I'm so exhausted. And you nicely replied about how you process creativity. And I think I reached out and I thanked you because it was just the, the thing I needed to hear at that moment, which is to calm down. This is just part of the whole thing. Um, I was a peak kind of, I can't, because at that point, I think my sleep had been so disturbed, which is not something that generally happens to me, that I was feeling really off. So that's why so it's the combination of um, the ability to break down Jung and the ability to understand something that not everybody understands unless you've actually been through it. And then to link it, because I think um, if you have this language, if you have the inner world language, you can communicate better with me than if you've given me, um, do you know what I mean? The idea of, um, yes. I just, I, I the combination is what makes it really interesting to me with the people I have in my group, that they understand both. And so we're not talking on the surface. It's always connected to that inner process. Um, and yeah, I really value that. I think that's so important. And honestly, I don't have that many people in my group and I have never, I've not met that many people online, maybe a couple um, through years and years of being on social media who understand this, at least that I've been countered. I'm sure they're out there. I just don't know them. And yeah, that's, it's like, it's a little community. It's so important, you know, because uh, otherwise for me anyway, it feels really, really, uh, not lonely, but 
like you are sort of floating on some sort of separate island and people are not really truly understanding. And so the opportunity to have these kinds of conversations, to me anyway, it's healing. It really makes me feel better. I don't know how you feel about it, but it just, uh, yeah. Oh, certainly. Um, it, it can be isolating. I can feel isolated at times. If you don't have people in your lives um, uh, that that can relate <clears throat> to certain experiences um, that that you have, and uh, I, I really do think that's important. I think that it speaks to, you know, the power of of community um, and connection, and uh, that's something we all need. Yeah, sure. And it's really missing in so many places, right? And it, it's not—it's not that what we're talking about is 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 esoteric by any means. No, um, it's it's just another um, level of understanding ourselves and understanding uh, the larger world we live in. Well, let's leave it with this: <laughs> the words of Sonisham Dasani that I would invite everybody else: just value your inner life. That's it. There's not really a lot more to say in that regard. Thanks for listening. The music you've been listening to is from Jay Ruddlesberger's album, Harvesting James. You can find his music at the links provided in the show notes. There, you'll also find links to anything else we've mentioned during our conversation. Thanks also to our producer, Andrew Graham. If you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave a rating so others will find us as well. For now, until next time. Hey